0: Let's get it. Monday morning, April 26th. This is episode 52 of the HESI, brought to you by BasketballGods.net. I want to lead off with this MVP discussion. You know, the media has started this thing where it changes every week based on who's hot, right? But it's not just the media's fault, and I'm a little bit guilty of it too. I think that part of it is no one has really solidified themselves as the frontrunner. It keeps changing, and so therefore it's easy to you know, jump on someone else's train because every time it seems like someone is establishing themselves as the MVP, they get hurt or something happens, right? Now, Friday night, two of the candidates went head-to-head in Jokic and Steph. Less than a minute into the game, Will Barton pulls a hamstring. Bad one. Shot in the leg type, right? Just goes down. He's done. Done for the season. I don't know that, but I know that. I know what type of hamstring that was. And Jokic finishes the game with 19-6 and six in the loss. And you look at this Nuggets roster, in just one week, Murray ACL, Morris hamstring, Barton hamstring, they looked completely demoralized. So 10 days ago, the Nuggets seemed like a dark horse contender headed towards the playoff, and Jokic is the clear favorite to win MVP. You fast forward to today, and here they come limping into the playoffs, and this probably takes the Joker out of the MVP running, because to me, at least in that game, he looked like he said, fuck it, I'm going to just head back to Serbia for the summer. And can you blame him? You know what I mean? Like, it's at a certain point, you lose so many key cogs, they've lost their entire backcourt pretty much. Like, as great as he is, I think he also knows in the back of his mind, well, what's the point? So I don't necessarily see him chasing the numbers to kind of get that MVP, but hey, I could be wrong. So now all of a sudden, he doesn't seem like the clear favorite. Now the Nets, with two nice wins over the weekend to reclaim first place in the East, they beat Boston and Phoenix yesterday. All of a sudden, Kyrie is now the MVP. That's the talk, right? Well, look, Kyrie, if... (laughs) If he has played every game or played near it and was playing all season, the way Kyrie's playing, yeah, he's deserved of MVP talk. But here's the thing. I don't think either he or Harden can win it because they've literally split the load. <laughs> is that a pause? I don't know if it is or not. But you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't like, oh, well, they're going to split votes because they're so loaded. No, 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 no. It was like Harden carried them half the way. Kyrie carried them half the way. Oh, yeah. And Kevin Durant is now back in the mix. So you know, I I don't know exactly how this is going to play out, but I would imagine that some of the voters that are New York based are probably going to go with Julius Randall, not just because of bias, probably some bias. You know, if you're from that area, most people are Nick fans, but also because he deserves some recognition. I don't know. I don't think any of those Brooklyn dudes could win it. And that's not to say that they They've played to that level. It's how funky the season has gone and how many games they've played that I think will disqualify them ultimately. It won't disqualify them. They will not get enough votes is, is what I'm getting at. They'll certainly get some, but I don't think they're going to get enough. So it's an interesting, not just this bottom teams in the play and tournament fighting here to the end of the year, but I still think we've got an MVP race that's very much wide open. But let's get back to the Nets here for a second. I do want to acknowledge what they did over the weekend. Some some nice wins here, and KD returned yesterday against the Suns. Looked good as always, right? He always comes back looking like KD. I do think we're starting to see him adapt a little bit of an old man's game, and I'm here for it. I'm here for it, especially being one myself on the court at this point. But what you're seeing from him is he's doing everything super efficient, no playing with the ball. And then it's at a different pace, if you notice. Now, obviously, he's coming back. He's feeling his way out. But he's playing a lot more in second gear. And he's just kind of cruising to his spots and elevating, understanding that he's a seven-footer. And he continues to score more points than minutes played. 33 points in 28 minutes last night. Or I should say yesterday afternoon. And, uh, you know... One thing I was thinking about is you look at the role players for this Nets team, and I think you see the same thing with the Lakers is one advantage to having a, quote, super team or having true superstars on your team is the role players have no choice but to be role players. And so it seems like you get the most out of them, right? There's no there's no confusion. There's no like, hey, man, I think I should be starting. I need more touches. No, you do exactly what's asked of you because you understand what this team is and what the possibilities are. If you put some of these guys on, let's just say Minnesota, right? Then you, they're, they're gonna get out of pocket. They're gonna try to do more than they can or they may not buy into their role because the team isn't a contender. They're not that good. So they probably think, well, why am I doing this? And you don't get that when you have an absolute contender, a power like the Nets or the Lakers, the role players, they're gonna play their roles. And so that's one of the advantages of being a team like that, and I think that's why you see the Nets, even when Kyrie's out, when Harden's out, it doesn't matter who's out; they're always competing. Likewise with the Lakers, it's because those guys are sticking to their roles. Now, for the Suns who took the L yesterday, book thirty-six. I, I'm, I'm a little concerned because what I think I'm seeing here is, is is DeAndre Ayton going to step up here in the playoffs, right? And you look at his numbers yesterday; you say, well, he had twenty and thirteen. But within the context of the game, and if you watched it play out, it wasn't enough, man. And I've talked about it a little bit. They're going to need him to dominate in certain playoff matchups, in certain games. And I just don't think the trust is there with his teammates. You know, there was a play about eight minutes to go. The game was still competitive. Chris Paul has it at the top. Aiton sets a screen, and Paul kind of throws him open. He, he A lead pass as he's supposed to roll, and he just never rolled. And... At quick glance, I think you see with Aiton, you're like, oh, his hands, like he's not catching, you know, he's not, his hands. But is it is it not his timing? Because it almost seems like it's his timing more so than his hands. And so that's why he's, you know, mishandled a lot of these passes. And then you see them stop giving it to him because the reality of it is, is, yeah, the numbers looked all right. He took 12 shots yesterday. He took 12 shots against a team where you circle that center matchup as your advantage especially if you have a number one pick in that position. And so I'm just curious to see what this first playoff experience looks like for DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker. He's still young. They're still so young. There's still a lot of growing to do, but I don't know if we're going to see, you know, uh, know, I I won't be surprised if it's a disappointing first playoffs for DeAndre Ayton in, in particular. Boston, after losing to Brooklyn, they get their shit packed in by the Hornets yesterday. I know y'all saw that clip in the beginning of the game where Tatum back taps it and who was it? Was it Rozier steals it for the dunk? And it's just the bad body language everywhere, right, you, with Boston. And again, from an outsider's perspective, I point out how different Tatum and Kemba look when Brown is in the lineup. I don't know what it is, man. That's not a diss to Brown. Like, look, I'll take Jalen Brown right now as a Warriors man. Like, I love Jalen Brown, but just chemistry. I don't know. I don't know, man. And I think that Portland and Boston are very much in the same spot. Two of the more disappointing teams this year that I think we will see have major change over the offseason. Because you look at Boston now, all of a sudden they're looking at the play-in tournament. You know, they'll they'll have one one good win and then they backtrack. They take one step forward and two back. Portland is fading fast. Five in a row now that they've lost. They get swept by Memphis over the weekend, who they're competing for in that, you know, to get out of that play-in tournament. And so, yeah, I think those are two teams where you've got stars, you've got talent, it's not working. And so, I don't know, I'm not saying they're going to trade between each other, but I, if I'm another team, I'm calling both of those GMs this offseason – to see what can be done, because I think they're gonna have to shuffle things up. Let's give Memphis a little bit of love here. Ja Morant, watching those highlights all all weekend against Portland, he was just stunting on them, right. And look, I know I've questioned Ja's shot selection and some of uh, some of his his pizzazz, right? I think sometimes it's a little bit extra. But there's no denying it, man. I got to admit, like when the shot is dropping for him in particular and he's playing well, there's an Iverson-esque aura. Ja, not so much like as a score right he's nowhere near the scorer iverson was but just the flavor and juice he brings to the court um yeah that's just that's just who comes to mind when jaw's going to me and again they don't quite do it the same way but there's just a swagger that's similar that i haven't seen since iverson and here comes memphis they look like they're going to make a push for that sixth seed and get up out of the tournament. Jackson Jr. is back. He did not play in both those games, you know, the load management and all that. But if Jaw is going to, because he was struggling. Remember, he he hurt the ankle a couple times, and so maybe some of it was that. But if he's going to, Ja's going to take a step here towards the end of the season and give them a push as they get Jackson Jr. back, their depth, uh, I like their coach, the dude, what's he, he looks like he works at Big O Tires, but he he can coach. And uh, so here comes Memphis. They, they may be that team that the other teams in the playoffs are looking at like, eh, I don't really want them to come out the tourney. I don't really want them to. What else happened over the weekend? Here's a stat for you. Saturday night, Zion became the quickest to score 2,000 since Jordan. 79 games to score 2,000 points. I thought that that was cool. That's an actual stat that's interesting, right? You hear so many stats now on ESPN. And that one was like, oh, okay, okay. That kind of means something. Quickest to 2,000. That's, that's interesting how efficient he does it. But the Pelicans, again, I've already, I've already went on my rant about the Pels. So I've, I've kind of stopped watching them. I'm not even going to front. There was that second Sixers-Bucks matchup that I was looking forward to, hoping it would be a uh, you know full squad for both of them and we could kind of get a little playoff preview. But the Sixers packed it in. No Joel, no Ben. And the Bucks rolled them again. So that was a non-game. But how about the Hawks beating the Bucks last night on the back of Bogdanovich? Now, remember the Hawks, no Trey Young. He rolled that ankle bad last week. And Bogdanovich kind of is the beneficiary of those touches and having the ball more. And he goes nuts in the second half. Six threes, 32 points, and the Hawks catch the Bucks. I've always liked Bogdanovich, man. And I always felt like he was the type that would flourish in a bigger role right he was in that congested backcourt in Sacramento and why I thought that is because you can tell he has a star mentality he may not quite have star talent but the mentality is there and so I think what Atlanta is finding is the more you empower him the better to an extent right he needs volume you'd see him in Sacramento he play 18 minutes you're like I like that dude he's pretty nice but 18 minutes he kind of needs the ball a little more right He he's a combo guard and so you know if he can hold on and hold the fort down for atlanta while trey recovers i'm much like the suns i'm curious to see what atlanta looks like in in their first playoffs with with this young crew final game of the weekend sunday night was warriors kings it was an ugly one it was an ugly one you saw wigs get the stop late on harrison barnes but barnes ate his ass up like a cupcake for about three quarters Barnes won that matchup. And I know there was some different guys on him, but Barnes had a hell of a night. And you saw the Warriors damn near give the game away. It was just terrible execution late. Steph gets a piece of it. Was it Holmes? Holmes, there was an offensive rebound. Holmes is going up. Steph gets a piece of his arm. There's a no call. And the Warriors pull it out at the free throw line. Here's the thing Warrior fans need to acknowledge. For everything that Steph is, He is not great with the ball late in games. I think that that's kind of undeniable, right? And I'm not talking about shooting. I'm not talking about clutch. Who do you want taking a shot? I'm talking about ball security and executing up five, up three, or whatever it may be, you know, with 40 seconds to go. And I think part of it is if you just look at his career, look at how his career has played out. One, he plays off the ball more than any other lead guard in the league. And then two, he was on such a dominant team for so long, there was less opportunities for him to get good at executing late in games like that, as far as just possessions. Because he threw one away yesterday and then and the Kings threw it right back to us too. But I'm, I'm just saying it's, it's undeniable. Like you gotta feel nervous. I know I do, Warrior fans, like with, with trying to execute late and stuff the ball in his hands. Because you want the ball in his hands because obviously he's the greatest free throw shooter of all time but sometimes he just makes some baffling choices with it. They dodged a bullet last night in Sacramento, and everybody's just jumbled up in that play-in tournament. It's going to come down to the final week, just like the NBA wanted. What do we got tonight? I had mentioned it before. Knicks sons, the Knicks going for their 10th win in a row. Now, it doesn't look like they can catch that third seed, but it's still a great story headed into the playoffs, the revival of the Knicks, Julius Randle, taking this step up into superstardom. And you got a Suns team that's kind of reeling here. This is a very tough East Coast swing late in the schedule. Can they bounce back after that disappointing game in Brooklyn? This is the Hesie, brought to you by BasketballGods.net. I'm out, y'all.